We are coming close to the end of 2 Samuel. We are in chapter 22 of a 24-chapter book. So three chapters to go, including today. All right? Chapter 22 is an end-of-life psalm that David writes to give praise to God for the many times God delivered him from his enemies. And then God raises him uh, to the throne. Right? You will recognize this psalm at the end of 2 Samuel as virtually identical to Psalm 18. So it's in both places. Now, um, it's 51 verses. So we're going to read a lot of scripture today. But before we delve into it, we need to deal with something about the psalm itself. <clears throat> Clearly, David is the author, and it begins with, with this, verse 1, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So it's, it's clearly David composing and speaking this psalm. But as we go through it, you're going to say, hmm, that doesn't seem like it fits David. And I believe it's pointing beyond David to who? Jesus, right? David is kind of a type uh, pointing to his great-great-great-great-grandson, Jesus, right? So kind of what's, what's going on here is similar to what you see in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins with, with this, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn. So there, was, there were mel melodies that they understood, and David would compose, and he would say, put this to this tune, right? A Psalm of David, and then he begins... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there was something going on in David's life where he is feeling forsaken, but who else says that? Jesus on the cross, right? Now, whatever was going on in David's life, he is in a lot of pain and torment, but then when we get to verse 14, listen to what he says. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot, potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So, clearly this is, this is pointing to Jesus on the cross. Dislocated bones and count his bones. And I thirst and surrounded by dogs. Dogs is, is a, a term for Gentiles, right? Um, the soldiers casting lots for his, 
his uh, clothes, his hands and feet are pierced. So <clears throat> either David is now simply prophesying in the words of the Christ, or there's something going on his, in his life where he is using this extravagant language, but it's typology ultimately fulfilled in Christ. So you're going to see some of that going on actually in a lot of David's psalms. So let's take a look at Psalm 22. All right, excuse me, chapter 22. <laughs> Not Psalm 22. It's a psalm of David at the end of his life, praising God for being delivered, but pointing to the ultimate deliverance of Jesus. And I'm going to break it into to three simple parts. He's praising God for rescue. Then he talks about his righteousness being the basis of God's favor. So we'll, we'll, we'll untangle that. And then retribution. God actually puts down David's enemies. All right, so that's the, the three-fold division. So we'll take a look at rescue. All right, he said, David said, now look, look at this, 10 terms. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock. I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. 10 terms that all paint a picture of God being his security. Right? In fact, um, this word stronghold here, it's an interesting word. Um, when David was fleeing from Saul, it was out by the Dead Sea area and uh, in En Gedi. Uh, and there's a, right next to En Gedi, a rock formation called Masada. And uh, it's called the stronghold. So when uh, David escaped to the stronghold, he may have literally been on top of this, uh, this Masada rock. It's a great place for about four or 500 men to live. And uh, nobody can get you because you just post a guard around the, the perimeter here and uh, they just kick you down the, the hill. Right? So um, there's the the. the Dead Sea back here. This may have been the picture. So when David uses words like rock and stronghold, he may have had uh, this picture in mind. He's praising God for being his rescuer. Now, what kind of trouble is he in? I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies for the waves of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me the cords of sheol or death entangled me the snares of death confronted me so the waves have you ever been to the ocean where you wade out and the waves are and they knock they knock you down then there's the undertow torrents of destruction and then i i picture the 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 cords of Sheol as an octopus pulling him, him under. The picture of, of water destroying him, right? 
In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I called from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. So, you wonder, what is God's disposition when you, a child of his, has somebody who's tripping you up, who's persecuting you. Here it says God is angry at David's oppressors. There is anger. I think of a, a mama bear and uh, somebody's messing with baby bear. Mama bear not happy. All right, so God is angry at David's oppressors. So now what does God do? Smoke went up from his nostrils and a devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. It's a picture of a dragon. All right, this is, it's not saying God is a dragon. It's picturesque. But there's coals and fire coming out of his mouth. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. So he's riding an angel. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Now, what about the picture of David underwater and the waves encompassing him? Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. So God blows the water away. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Remember David? Little junior high kid David? He's got no armor. He's just got a little slingshot. And he goes against Goliath, nine foot tall, armor covered, well trained, weapon-bearing, terrifying champion who intimidates all of Israel. And what does God do? He delivers David through the slingshot. David later on has 400 ragtag men fleeing from Saul. Saul has 3,000 well-armed, well-trained, well-supplied men. Time and time again, God rescues David. Jesus was betrayed by his own friend, conspired against by the religious leaders of his day, flogged by Roman soldiers, crucified on a Roman cross, pierced through the the heart with a spear, buried in a grave, and God rescues him by raising him from the dead. So, God rescues David before he enters death. God rescues Jesus 
after he entered death. All right? So there we see the rescue. Now, let's move into the second part, the righteousness. What is the basis of God's delight in David? He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, um, that is a sweet verse. And we're going to come back to it at the end. Um, but David says, He rescued me because he delighted in me. What is the basis of God's delight in David? Now, look what, what David says. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has renewed me according to my righteousness according to my cleanness in his sight. Right? Now, <clears throat> was David a godly man? Yeah. The man after, after God's own heart. But how does this paragraph make sense in light of a book where halfway through he commits adultery, he commits murder, and for the next 10 chapters, we see the consequences of David's sin. And then at the end of his life, he says, was my righteousness. That was the basis upon which God delighted in me and rescued me. Now, commentators and preachers are all over the map when it comes to trying to figure out what is David referring to here. Okay, uh, A lot of them say this. Well, David composed this right after God delivered him from Saul, right after Saul died. Therefore, it was before his great sin with Bathsheba. Well, there's a little bit of a problem there because it says David saying this, yes, after, uh, after God delivered him from Saul, but also after he was delivered from all his enemies. Saul was his enemy. So was his own son, Absalom. He had enemies right up to the end. Right? So I, I don't know that just saying this is referring to before his great sin works. Okay? Others do this. They say, well, David is just referring to his righteous behavior in how he dealt with his enemies. Remember, he didn't kill Saul. He let him go several times. David was righteous. That's why God was, was gracious to him. But, but look at verse 23. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. This doesn't seem to be limited to righteous behavior in dealing just with enemies. It seems to be dealing with all of God's statutes. I think only Jesus can be the ultimate fulfillment of these verses. Okay? But how can they find their way into the mouth of David? 
Now, I think there's two possibilities of how David can be speaking these words. One is he's just speaking prophetically here in the place of the Messiah. Kind of like in Psalm 22. My hands and feet are pierced. That, that right At that point, it's Messiah speaking. It's David speaking the words of Messiah. That's an option. But it's more probable, in my mind, that David is speaking of his righteousness being a borrowed righteousness, an imputed righteousness. And the Apostle Paul tells us that David understood imputed righteousness. Okay? Imputed righteousness is not righteousness that I've earned. It's righteousness of someone else credited to my account. So here in Romans 4, verse 5, verse 5 is the gospel. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, or it's translated imputed in some versions, as righteousness. The gospel is, you don't work, you trust in Christ, and his righteousness is counted as yours. That's the gospel. How many people, I, the, you ask them, how are you get into heaven? I'm a pretty good person. That's not how you get to heaven. You need a perfect record. To the man who stops trusting in his own righteousness and trusts in Christ, it's his righteousness that gets imputed. Logizomai is the word. All right, counted as your righteousness. Now, did David understand this? Paul says he did. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts, imputes, logizomai, counts, righteous apart from works. So David understands imputation. And then he's going to quote from a psalm of David, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, impute his sin. So, whether this paragraph in chapter 22 is David speaking in the place of Jesus or David speaking about imputed righteousness, one thing is sure. Jesus' righteousness is the only basis of our confidence before God. And David understood that to some degree. Right? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Right? What a perfect song to sing today. All right? Let me come back to verse 20 at the end. But now, the third part of the psalm, I'm going to entitle it Retribution because it begins with the letter R. <laughs> but retribution, you go, well, Christians aren't supposed to, to, to be excited about retribution. No, Christians are not supposed to seek retribution. You're to let God handle that. And here, David is praising God for Dealing in retribution, in vengeance, okay? So 
here's, here's what happens. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. So those who not only have faith, but now God's starting to transform you and sanctify you, uh, that shows that you're his. He is dealing in a good way. But, or and, with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. The unrighteous. God is confusing to them. They can't make sense of God's word. God is torturous to them. I don't know about you, I do not want God to be torturous to me. I want him to show mercy and show himself blameless and, and deal, pure, deal with me as a purified person, not as a torturous God. All right? Verse 28, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty. Oh, arrogant man, beware. For you are a lamp, O oh Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Now, David's going to do a little bragging here about his skill in warfare. But it's okay to brag in the Lord, not about yourself. He gives all the credit to the Lord. Pay attention to the pronouns here. For by you, God, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For this is God, but the, for, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Any of you bow hunters? You guys get that. You, you have the fiberglass with the, the pulleys on it, right? Where when you do this, the pulleys are... Imagine a, 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 a bow made out of bronze just being able with skill to pull that back. But God gives him those arms, right? You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. So there's a, a time when even the enemies cry out to God. But it's, it's a foxhole conversion, not true uh, conversion. Right? So, I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the street. You delivered me from strife with my people. Now, look at this sentence. You kept me as the head of the nations. 
People whom I had not known served me. Here I think we have another arrow pointing to Jesus. David may have been head of the neighborhood, right? He beat a few Philistines and a few Moabites now and then. But this is global. Head of the nations, right? David's just a little picture of a coming king who will be head of the world. Right? When Jesus returns, look what's going to happen. When the Son of Man comes, Matthew 25, in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will sit in judgment over the nations. And to those people who have trusted in him, those are the sheep. To those who haven't, those are the goats. And these, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is ultimately pointing to not just the king of the little neighborhood over in the Middle East, but to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Foreigners came cringing to me as soon as they heard of me. They obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. And ble blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance. And brought, me, and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Now, last verse. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed to David and his offspring forever. Here's a, a note from the MacArthur Study Bible. His king, his anointed. These terms are singular and thus do not seem to refer to David and his descendants. Rather, they refer to the promised descendant, the Messiah of chapter 7, verse 12. The deliverance and ultimate triumph of David foreshadow that of the coming Messiah. So David, yes, thank you, God, for delivering me. Thank you for uh, favoring me. Thank you for vengeance over my enemies. But that's just a little foreshadowing of his greater son, Jesus, the Messiah. Now, let me end with this. Verse 20. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Okay? David, who's under the discipline of God because of his sin with Bathsheba and his murder, Right? We looked at all those consequences. So he is, he is feeling 
the consequences of his sin. He is under the discipline of God. At the same time, can say, he delighted in me. Wow. David can take it. He can take the discipline of God, his loving heavenly father, without wallowing. And he can say, he he still delights in me. There's a guy, have I ever mentioned him? John Piper. And I've copied off an article we're going to look at in connection time. He calls this practicing gutsy guilt. It's acknowledging your sin. It's even accepting your discipline from God. It's repenting. It's feeling sorrowful for your sin. Yet at the same time, walking in the freedom of the gospel. Based not on your righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. It's a step of spiritual maturity to be able to live in this tension of both experiencing God's discipline and enjoying the freedom of gutsy guilt of believing he was rescued. You were rescued because he delights in you. I, uh, I, I knew that with last week's sermon, some people were going to struggle. And I, I don't want you, if you are a believer in Christ, I don't want you to go, oh, Everything that happens to me now must be because I'm under discipline. God must be out to get me. God's against me. First of all, it's not necessarily that easy to read God's discipline. But secondly, even if you are feeling the consequences of your sin, even if you are under discipline, does that negate the cross? No. He delights in those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's enjoy that and let's sing about that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we don't want to abuse the truth of the gospel, but we don't want to lose the truth of the gospel. Lord, thank you for David, who even under discipline, even under consequences, can say, my God delighted in me. So Lord, as we walk this life with many dangers, toils, and snares, as we fight the fight of faith, as we fall and brush ourselves off and get up again, may we truly feel and enjoy and worship you for your delight in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.